Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can. They will change the world. I am absolutely convinced that we are still excavating what leadership really means. I've said for years that leadership is not titular. That is, leadership doesn't demand a title. And that possibly that word leadership contains somewhere in it a way for all of us to develop a sense of agency, a sense of service in the world. I gravitate to people who are on a similar journey as me. And uh, uh, recently, I came across a book called Leadership Language and an incredible man called Chris Westfall, who is joining me on The Great Conversation today. The book is called Leadership Language, uh, but there's so much more than the book in Chris Westfall. Uh, and of course, we will be sending you his bio in the future. We won't waste time in The Great Conversation excavating something you can already do, but we're going to really get into Chris's head on what his learnings are uh, throughout his career. Chris, welcome to The Great Conversation. Thank you, Bron. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I couldn't put the book down, Leadership Language. I couldn't put the book down. Uh, I felt like we were in conversation together. I also felt like uh, I often say that we're sitting at my fireplace, dinner is cooking. We have about 20, 30 minutes. And I felt like at any point in time, I could take my finger anywhere in this book and read something and take it home and, and really ponder about it and actually have some application in my life. So Chris, well done. Thank you. That's that's high praise, especially coming from you. And I, I appreciate it. Uh, I think that, you know, leadership language reflects uh, what well, I'm going to say what you and I both see about leadership is that it's it's not just a concept; it's it's really a verb. And there are a lot of there are a lot of books out there that talk about leadership from a conceptual standpoint, or you know, helping you to learn more about leadership. And here's the, here's the way that I look at it: um, if I know everything about the sport of boxing, everything about the history of boxing since 1871 up until yesterday, that is not going to help me if I'm about to get punched in the face. And, and you know this as well as I do. Leadership is a contact sport. Uh, sometimes it does feel like you're in the ring. Uh, but we have to go beyond, uh, I think, go beyond uh, information to experience, to create an experience for ourselves of that kind of servant leadership that you espouse, that you speak of in this podcast. That, that experience is where we really see beyond the concepts and we see leadership as a verb we see leadership and action and and that was my intention in in leadership language which of course focuses on communication skills but many other things as well always looking in the direction of application and action because that's if you want to know if someone's a leader you, you don't look at the books on their shelves or the degrees on their wall you, you look at their actions and if you really want to know how great of a leader someone is Look at what their people are doing and look at what their organization is achieving. And that's how you can measure it. I love it. There, there are a couple of scenes in the book where you're talking about, we all know this character, this persona who's sitting at the table 
And all they can talk about is all the things they've done in the past and why this applies to today. And you, in one of your chapters, you actually quote um, an Indian philosopher named Rumi, where you say, where he says, sell your knowledge. Think about that, everyone. Sell your knowledge. That is, give it away and purchase bewilderment. And I wrote on LinkedIn, oh my gosh, you know, that's exactly right. I have been on a journey in, a, in my family at the beginning, in education and my work experience, and it starts building this fortress that I spend a lot of time defending on what I know while something else is being born. And you do this so well in the book, and it's called the uh, your chapter 12, Unbranding of a Leader, is right on point there. But I want to ask you something, because... Mm -hmm. We're going to get into unbranding a leader, but I want you, I want you to, uh, from your experience, how do you keep leaders seeing when they're operationally bound to performance, getting that next customer, getting the top line revenue, getting the profit, all the elements of performance? Do you see that getting in the way? of something new. Every, everywhere I look, I see that there are boundaries. On every road that I drive on, there are there are lines and there are curbs. And yet, I can take those roads to pretty much wherever I'd like to go. And if I get lost looking at the guardrails and I don't see opportunities, then absolutely I will create what you are describing. And when people are operationally focused and they have the obligations that come with being in business, the key to being an effective leader isn't being overwhelmed by those boundaries. It's how you show up inside of them and inside of obligations, recognizing explorations. Boundaries always exist. The football field is 53 and a third yards wide, always from today until Sunday. That's how wide it is. But what happens in between those 53 and a third yards, as well as between the two end zones, is anybody's guess. And for that executive, that leader, that founder, that falls into the misunderstanding that there's only one way to win, or because of this, obligation because of this boundary, because of this structure, because of our CRM system, there's only one way to win. I would challenge that all day long. Why? Imagine, ima pick your favorite sport, pick your favorite sport. I don't care what it is. And you go to your coach and you say, hey, coach, there's only one way to win. What does the coach say? The coach says, sit down. <laughs> your job is to find every, every way to win. Boundaries always exist. They are, they are a fact of life. They're like gravity. It's, it's with us. Whether we like it or not, doesn't matter. We don't, we don't have to believe in it. Mm -hmm. But gravity, always, it's always there. And the boundaries of business are always there. And yet, in spite of those boundaries, there are innovators. There are people that know what you and I, what you and I know. And that is that every, every book ever written always starts at the same place, starts at a blank page. And that's true for every business plan as well. And if an, a leader is listening to the sound of my voice and thinking, ah, Chris, you don't understand the obligations that I have. You don't understand the pressures that are on me. You don't understand the quotas and the stockholders. And I would just say, hold on just a second. Within those boundaries, what opportunities exist? 
And, and if you if you still can't see them, do me a favor. Can you zoom out? Can you zoom out? Are, are you on an island? Are you the only person having the experience of feeling restrictions around boundaries? And for me personally, I mean, Ron, you know, being able to work with a coach for me was what really helped me to be able to step back and, and see beyond those boundaries and those restrictions. And, and, and that's why the chapter is called The Unbranding of a Leader. Because we have, you know, we we talk, people talk a lot about personal brands and stuff like that. What about the branding that's going on inside our head, telling us who we are and what we can and can't do and telling us how invasive those guardrails are when really they're there to protect us and there's still an opportunity for us to see things in a new way. Always and forevermore, there are opportunities to see things in a new way. I mean, you think about it right now in this conversation, how many possibilities exist? I mean, you and I, we could say anything. We could we could say Justin Bieber, we you know we could say Kansas City Chiefs. We could say street signs. We could we could say anything. So if those possibilities exist for us in this conversation, why is it that that entrepreneurs and business leaders and executives and people with education and authority and insight can't see those same possibilities for themselves? And maybe it's just because they haven't engaged in a conversation with someone that can help them to pull back, zoom out and see a new way to win. Yeah. And you've used so many different tools in the, in the past too. And you show, uh, and your book um, actually goes into them where you're trying to tease out um, that new way of seeing. Um, I love the blank page. Everyone starts there. Every business starts there. We just don't remember that. It starts with a, a blank page. Um, one of the things I remember doing years ago, I had a bunch of uh, sales guys in a room and they kept talking about how they were having a hard time winning. And I said, just for a second, I'd let, just a thought experiment. I'd like you to pretend for a second you're, you're, you're the competitor who's going against you. Tell me what they're saying in the room right now about how they win against you. It was really interesting because they had never taken that perspective. Well, you do things like that in the book. You're constantly saying, what if you do a lot of what if and what else? So you make them go to the three levels of why I call it. What else? What about this? Right. And, and tell me about that. How'd you learn that skill set? By experiencing what doesn't work. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't try to be a philosopher or offer Zen riddles in my coaching or in my book, but what I'm trying to go for is a fresh perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depending on how you look at something and the, the great example is the elephant, you know, the story of the blind men that are looking at the elephant and they all have a very different experience of it. And yet underneath it all, the elephant is the elephant. And in business, we have to take the perspective that is going to serve us most. And so often when we're, when we're in a room and the sales guys are, are, are blamestorming instead of brainstorming, you know, I've, I've been there too. Um, and I've, I've, you know, it, it, it's only natural to, to point fingers and look outside of ourselves for the reasons why things aren't the way that we want them to be. But often it, it's really about the way that we show up. It's about which side of the elephant that we're on that creates our ability to 
ride that elephant or to, to do whatever, or to give it a peanut, whatever it is with this metaphorical element we're trying to do. It, it all begins with your perspective and shifting that perspective is critical. And, and the leader, the perspective for the leader that I think is most valuable is captured in three words. And these three words are counterintuitive, but I'll, I'll put them out there for you. And here they are. I don't know. Because when a leader is willing to say, I don't know, then, then they're unbranded. They're not falling into the trap of what they learned at Stanford or what they've done over the last 12 years in biomedical engineering. I don't know means fresh page, fresh start, fresh look. And it, it is remembering, remembering this, this beginner's mind that gives us the freedom to see things in a new way. And that I think is critical for leaders. There is such an amazing scene in your book where you're facilitating a meeting of leaders and you're going around the table asking for their feedback and everyone's giving a, a pithy answer because you've been concentrating on giving pithy answers. Make it simple, stupid, if I can paraphrase. And, and suddenly this person, this executive, starts going in to every problem she's facing, every nuance she's tried, mm -hmm. and she's going on and on. And then you make an executive decision as a facilitator to stop her. Yeah. And tell us about that scene. That was, and I, I felt that in my gut. I've been in those meetings. Well, it was a moment where, and it actually happened in Seattle, interestingly enough, that's where that took place. Uh, but for this executive, female executive, she was just, I was asking what she was taking away from our conversation. And she was dumping a word salad. She was giving me, you know, her life story from birth up till yesterday and the challenges inside of her organization. And, and all I, the I, other people in the room. Yeah, I'm starting to get totally disengaged. Like, why are we here? And and I just I just had to stop. <laughs> and and I said, what What are you really What are you really trying to say? Mm. And that was when she got to that place where she said, you know what, I don't know. And and immediately, I said to the group, "Thank you for your honesty." Mm. You know, people bounce around this term of authenticity a lot, and I think it gets lost um, in the mix. And uh, what I, th but if you think about it, at the at the core of authenticity is honesty, is is that sort of fearless honesty that, and we talk about vulnerability as well. But she stepped into that place that was the most honest thing that she could say, the most real thing that she could say, and and I could really relate to it because I I could relate to what she was doing. Because we're, we're hired to be the folks with the answers. But sometimes the, the real job, the real job of the leader is helping people to find their own answers. And when people get to that place where they are honest, where they are vulnerable, where they are willing to face the fact that we don't have all the answers, that's a very, very powerful place. And I think back to the, the quote from John Wooden and Earl Weaver used it for the title of his autobiography. It's what you learn after you know it all that really counts. And what we have right now in this day and age, I don't, I don't know, Ron, maybe you're seeing this, but I mean, we don't have, I mean, information is everywhere. 
Google it if you don't believe me. But but from that place where we have all of the information that we need, the gap that we experience, it's not a knowledge gap. It's, it's a gap between being able to be honest with ourselves and being able to show up and being able to show up in a spirit of vulnerability. And the minute you say, I don't know, when you're able to follow that with, but I'm willing to find out, but I can't, but I'm curious and I can't wait. I can't wait to put something on this page. I can't wait to put that business plan on the back of this napkin. I can't wait to find new ways to use the roads and the boundaries that I've been given to take me somewhere I've never been before. Such, such a beautiful moment that you experienced. And she actually became the definitive leader in the room by going through that experience with you. Just, just an incredible. Um, let's go back to performance mm. because I touched upon how the notion of performance gets in the way. Um, but there's another level of performance as well. Let's go back to the football field. Mm. We want to see that field as maybe having boundaries, but within it, we get to play. And there's all sorts of opportunities we need to be able to see. Uh, but, but in certain fields of play, the X event happens out of the blue. It's a disruption. It's disruptive, maybe personally, professionally, to your organization. It screams danger. It screams the pressure of the opportunity in that moment. Tell me what you've learned about the resilient, adaptive, and prepared leader for those moments. They're able to turn down the volume. In the middle of the screaming, they're able to see what needs to be done. And that has been a hallmark, I think, of the leaders that I really respect and admire, the ones that I've worked with. have It's been their ability to, to maintain that calm in, in the eye of the storm because there, there are pressures. There are pressures on you. There are pressures on me. There are pressures on everyone listening to this conversation. We all have pressures. But what separates what separates high performers from the rest of us are the ones who are able to understand that, that beyond our thinking about a circumstance, beyond the way that we react immediately like Pavlov's dog to a scream or to, to those pressures, there's more possibilities out there. And we don't have to respond to new pressures or even the same pressures in the same way. And what I'm saying, Ron, is that the past reminds us it does not define us. And we have an opportunity, you, me, leaders, anyone in this world, to make a different choice. And in the midst of the screams and the pressures and the shareholders and, and the, <laughs> the employees that don't listen and all the things that, that we're faced with as leaders, new possibilities always exist. You know, before we were, when we were talking, you, you, you know, one of the themes that you spoke of is hope. And hope is not some Pollyanna pursuit. Hope is something that always exists. And my hope for the leaders that I work with is that they see new possibilities, even in the midst of the pressure. And the thing that I know is that how you show up is what creates the world around you. 
And if you show up in the middle of the pressures as an alarmist, <laughs> you're going to create the world around you and problems for your entire team and your entire organization. So I don't want to be so pat as to say, well, just calm down or just be relaxed. But what I would say instead is that possibilities always exist. And I think it was Edison who said, there is a way to do it better. Find it. The, the master of possibilities, the master inventor said that. And, and his genius is something that we can all access if we choose to. That's not to say that I'm as smart as Edison, but I have moments of genius when I have some clarity and when I'm able to step outside of my thinking and see what really needs to be done. So interesting you say that because the anecdote, I don't know where I picked this up, but the anecdote I have about Edison goes to that back to that resilient leader who recognizes there's a moment here. There's an I don't know moment. There's a high pressure moment. There's a dangerous moment. But the trigger, I think, you know, because I look for triggers to get me out of compulsive behaviors. I have mm. to recognize the trigger. So it's right. triggering me. So changing changing the reaction to that trigger to, oh, this means there's an opportunity. The, the pandemic has caused a downturn in sales. Oh, I recognize an opportunity, right? Uh, so, so that's what I think you're saying. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. The, the way that I, the way that I say it is, it is to ask the leader this question, what else could this be? This is an alarm. This is a disaster. This is what this else? is epic. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? And again, in a book called Leadership Language, I mean, the words that you choose, those words matter. And Beautiful. and looking at things and saying, what else could this mean? What else could this be? And and recognizing we're not Pavlov's dog. I mean, when the bell rings, we don't necessarily get hungry. And sometimes even when we're hungry, we can still skip the meal if we wish to. You know what I mean? So we don't have to bite on the circumstance. Just because a train of thought shows up doesn't mean you have to ride that train. And stepping back and understanding that that clarity can be found even in the midst of craziness. It's that's that's the place where leadership shows up. You also do a great job back to knowledge for a second, which obviously is the tables, your your baseline table stakes. Of course you've accumulated knowledge, you've accumulated experiences, right? Of course you have. And you want to immediately reach into that basket and solve tomorrow's problems or today's problems. But you do a real good job of defining the how to use knowledge without it getting in the way. Would you mind touching on that? Well, I had a conversation with a, a fascinating guy. His name's Murray Wilcox. Mm. And Murray Wilcox, and he's, his story is featured in the book. He's, he's from Cape Town, South Africa. He's, a, he's an extreme surfer, which means he's looking for waves that are at least 15 feet high. And of course, Murray's been on a surfboard since he was a baby. Um, and so he grew up in the waves. And I, I was fascinated by talking to this young man uh, about uh, surfing because, you know, I'm from the Midwest and the very idea of the ocean is quite exotic to me. Anyway, uh, but I was talking to Murray and I said, you know, you're you're this extreme surfer. And I, and I knew that if you end up on the wrong side of a wave, I mean, a 10-foot wave can weigh 400 tons and can crush a person. So here's somebody surfing a 15, 20-foot wave. Uh, and even with all of his knowledge and experience, 
that's that's really a life and death situation right there. And so I said to Murray Wilcox, I said, Murray, when you're at the top of that wave, what are you thinking? I mean, are you thinking I'm going to go right, right, left, left, left? Or are you thinking about what your coach told you last Thursday or what you, uh, you know, what the people on the on the beach might say if they see you wipe out? I mean, what, what are you thinking about? And this is what Murray Wilts, Wilcox told me. And it, it, it just, it's so powerful. He said, nothing. I'm thinking of nothing because I'm at the top of a wave. And so any plans that you might have, what if the wave has other plans? And this, for me, this wasn't a story about how we're all going to be crushed by waves or how, you know, leadership is a death journey or some, some craziness like that. No, it was a reminder that at the top of the wave, if you know how to surf and you're a surfer, you'll know what to do next. And as leaders, we often, we often lose sight of that. Why? Because of what we've been speaking about in this conversation, boundaries, obligations, expectations, et cetera. Finding the clarity and presence of mind is crucial to making effective leadership decisions for showing up for yourself, for your team, for your people, for your relationships in a way where we remember we know what we're doing and we have the ability to figure things out when they show up. So one of my favorite quotes is, and I don't know who said this, I think it's anonymous. Um, Man plans, God laughs. And I, I think that that's really true. And that's, again, not a source of discouragement, but actually encouragement. It's a reminder that while God is laughing, he's also given us the ability to figure things out, the ability to be resourceful and to be resources, not only for ourselves, but for others around us. And tapping into that resourcefulness is what will keep you alive at the top of a wave and what will help you to navigate at the top of an organization. I am so honored and cherish this moment with you, Chris Westfall. I'd like nothing more than to leave people with the notion that every circumstance could be a blank page ready to tell an incredible story. And you've shown us how to do that with leadership language. Thank you, Chris Westfall, for a great conversation. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.